There's a French thinker and philosopher, Voltaire, off-repeated quote, and it basically says, if they can make you believe absurdities, they can make you commit atrocities. And I think that's extremely applicable to what we've seen the last couple of years. So, I mean, you know this, they, they made so many people believe absolute absurdities. The masks work, that we need to lock down, you know, and, and destroy the economy. And that, remember the original forecast, astronomically high numbers of people that we supposedly were, we were going to lose to COVID. Oh, remdesivir worked. Or, hey, you're going to kill grandma. Or, hey, you can't be with your grandparents when they're sick at death's door. You can't be with them in their final moments, you know? Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. All right, well, thank you for joining me again. I first want to thank my Patreon supporters. We've got Shell Pace at the $50 level. We've got an anonymous donor at the $2020, self-made 2020 level. We've got the Plandemic Ripper Mando at $17.76 with Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stanley, Anna, who is a previous guest on this, Dr. Anna, Frank, Brian. We've got a self-made level at $10 with Kevin. We've got the Refined Not Burned, $5 a month. Linda, Emmy, Joe, Pat and Bev, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Jennifer, Ken. We've got a dollar fifty a month with Frank, and we have the Courageous Contagious with one dollar a month with Amanda, Jay, Spets, Nasty, Darrell, Susan, Phoebe King, a previous guest, and Rick. I take the time to mention those every day because I appreciate every dollar that is given in support. I'm still suing the Secretary of Defense. We're about a hundred thousand dollars into that lawsuit. And so it, it is putting some financial stress on the family. I did have just this past week on the day of recording, I did have the meeting with the Texas Medical Board. I am not able to to give any details on how that meeting went. I'll find out officially in August what the decision is. But just pray that everything went well. Today, I have a very special guest, Brad Miller. He's been on with us before. Just a quick refresher, Brad was a battalion commander, rank of lieutenant colonel, who resigned his commission at about 19 years and three months. And something very interesting happened yesterday, May 31st. This is the day we're recording is, is June 1st. This will air a few days after that or maybe a week or two after that. But what, what's so special about May 31st, Brad? And, and thanks for coming. Yeah, of course. So first of all, thanks for having me. You know, happy to be here. Happy to speak with you again, Sam, and very appreciative of you and your audience and everything that you're doing. You know, you're one of the foremost names, one of the individuals just absolutely at the the tip of the spear in this fight. So, so happy to be with you and of course with, with your audience. So May 31st, yesterday I put out a piece on my Substack and for anybody who wants to find me at Substack. It's it's real easy. It's just my name, bradmiller10.substack.com. But I put out a piece yesterday that I just called a 20-year view because yesterday, May 31st, 2023, was exactly 20 years from when I graduated West Point and therefore exactly 20 years from when I entered the Army, which means if I were still in the Army as of right now, yesterday, would have made exactly 20 years. It means that, that as of yesterday, I would have kind of secured my my retirement pension for lack of a better way to put it, right? Right. And so what, 
remind us again how it was it was like 19 years and was it three months is that is that correct when you resigned your commission yeah so 19 so 19 years three months and 15 days so my last day of service with the army was september 15th 2022 so obviously you know i didn't I didn't quite make it. And just in case there are audience members who are not familiar with my story, I'll just kind of give the, the, the very abridged version. But my story was, as you alluded to, so I was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. I was a battalion commander at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in the 101st Airborne Division. I took command of the battalion. It was called the Rock Solid Battalion. And uh, this was in 3rd Brigade of the 101st Airborne Division. But I took command in June of 2021. And then as many of your audience members will know, in August of 2021, that's when the, the FDA supposedly approved, you know, one of the Pfizer shots. And then the very next day, DOD implemented their mandate. I refused to go along with the mandate. I refused the shot. And then on October 28th, 2021, I was relieved of command. And so I was, I was one of only two battalion commanders across the active duty army to be relieved of command. A couple of months later, so in early 2022, once the army had published subsequent directives and they had made it abundantly clear that they were going to separate all individuals that were unvaxxed, I decided at that point that, you know, I just no longer wanted to be part of the organization, felt like that I could not in good conscience continue to serve. And so I, and so I resigned. And then my last day was September 15th, 2022. So yeah, so a total of 19 years, three months, and 15 days. Thank you for taking that hard stand. I can't imagine putting that much time into it and being that so so close to the finish. But but you did the right thing because the more important thing is your soul, not losing your soul, not giving up on those oaths that you've taken. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way that, that I had to look at it. And I, and I tell you, and every now and again, someone will ask me this, and I've I've never regretted the stance that I've that I've taken never and in fact even though it's been you know not not quite a year since since I got out when we just look at the insanity that continues to come from DOD I mean I just I know that I made the right decision I feel entirely vindicated everything that people like you people like me and plenty of others have said I, I mean it continues to play out so I might have some some micro regrets about kind of the way in which I resigned. I mean, there's some there's some conversations that I kind of wish I had had with my my brigade commander or or the division commander, you know, the the, the general that I did not quite get to have. So there are some small micro regrets, but in terms of the decision itself to a refuse the shot and b to uh, to go ahead and resign, no, I don't I don't I don't regret that at all. Let's talk a little bit more about that article you recently put out. And there was another article I'd like to get into that, too. We tried talking about it, but we had some recording issues. And so here we are again, re-recording. But let's let's talk about that, whichever one you want to talk about first. Yeah, okay. So let's start with the one yesterday. So again, I put out a piece just simply called A 20-Year View. So what this was, was me just introspectively looking at myself, where I'm at now, where I was 20 years ago, and then just kind of trying to assimilate the last 20 years, right? And so my basic message is, I graduated West Point, and I embarked on this uh, this career in the Army. I did not necessarily know how long I was going to serve in the Army for. I didn't necessarily know that I was going to try and make a full career out of it. 
and in fact, as a as a as a junior captain, I actually very strongly considered getting out of the army. But regardless, you know, I I stuck in, and then somewhere along the way, kind of as a mid grade major, maybe 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 junior to kind of early mid grade major, I started to realize that you know what, maybe maybe I'm competitive enough to be a battalion commander. And and before that, I'd kind of assumed that that was a goal that I just, you know, wasn't going to necessarily achieve and maybe should not even necessarily worry about. So, but I began to think that, you know what, you know, this might be possible. So I might stick in. I I didn't go into this yesterday in the, in the, in the piece that I wrote, but I'm just kind of giving you some additional context now. So I stayed in and then of course I ended up taking command of the battalion. I was only in command for about four months before I got relieved. And so it's just interesting to look back at this, uh, this, uh, this cadet that's graduating from West Point probably has a very, if I can, you know, look back at myself 20 years ago, right? This very idealistic notion of the academy, the military, you know, the country, the, the government, etc., right? And then very much entering the army, assuming that that I'm doing so for for God and country, you know, like like many of us. And then so fast forward nearly two decades, and then paradoxically, I'm actually leaving the army for God and country, you know, because I believe that that is what I have to do in order to align myself with the truth, you know, and first and foremost with God. But then even, even with the country, and I know you'll understand this, Sam, and a lot of your listeners will too, right? I I felt like I was in this paradoxical situation where I'd been backed into a corner and I, and I felt like, okay, in order for me to actually maintain my oath, then I'm actually going to have to leave this organization that purports to abide by the constitution while actually, you know, completely desecrating it. It's such a paradox, isn't it? That to, to serve the country, you must leave the service of the country. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That, that you, that you're in this organization that prides itself on, you know, serving the country and uh, yeah, you, you might actually have to, in order to actually serve the country, you may have to separate yourself from that uh, from that organization. And so things like integrity, the oath to the constitution, those things are extremely important to me, but number 1 of course is just you know my relationship with God. I mean, I don't take that lightly and and and, and I, I I just I would not feel comfortable if I were still I would not feel comfortable if I had compromised what I knew to be true just to save my career. And so the way I put it there are, when you look at kind of my career and the way it ended, there are three things that I gave up, right? So one was my command position, because first and foremost, before I ever ended up out of the army, you know, I was relieved of command. So first and foremost, you know, was the, I lost my command. I lost whatever the remainder of my career, you know, might've looked like, you know, would I have gone to the war college? Would I have been promoted to colonel? I mean, there's just no way to know, right? So whatever the remainder of my career was, and then of course my retirement pension, because I didn't make it to 20 years. So my command, my career and my retirement, but I, what I feel like I retained was, you know, my loyalty to God and my just sense of personal integrity. And of course my oath to the constitution. And so one of the things just going back to, you know, 20 years ago when I was a cadet, so in that uh, that post that I wrote yesterday, I included my my senior photo from my my senior or my first class year at West Point, and uh, there's a little you know you could put some sort of some sort of caption beneath the photo, and so 
I chose a scriptural passage, and it's from the New Testament. It's from one of the, the epistles that Paul wrote. This one specifically is to Timothy. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very well-known verse. It's 2 Timothy 4, 7, but it just, yeah, and, and people, even if they don't, even if like that scripture doesn't necessarily ring a bell, they probably heard the scripture and it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty well-known scripture. And so I kind of included that as a, as a caption beneath my photo. So one of the things that I said in my post yesterday was, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I was kind of, I'm kind of unimpressed with myself that, that that's what I chose to put beneath my photo 20 years ago, because, you know, no, no offense to, you know, right, 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 right. And no offense to St. Paul, but on my, on my part, it's kind of unoriginal because I mean, it's a very well-known scripture. I mean, it's just, it's not, not very creative, but you know, more importantly than that, you know, I'm kind of taking, you know, taking his words and kind of, you know, using them with, with my situation, but then also, yeah, you're right. It's just, it's short-sighted. So of course I meant it to refer to my time at the Academy, right? Because, you know, like, I mean, the Academy, I mean, it was a hard experience. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging time to go there and, and be there for four years. And so I was proud that I was graduating. Right. But when you look, when you look back at it now, you know, 20 years ago, right. You're right. My army career was, was, was just starting. And so in any case, it's interesting though, that I chose that scriptural passage though, because regardless of whether it was wise or, you know, whatever pretentious to, to have used it then, or even to use it now, regardless, the language is far more applicable now as we look at like the end of my career than it, than it ever was 20 years ago, just looking at my tenure as an academy cadet. Well, one thing I think is interesting about that is it's almost like a message to yourself from the past that you're sending this message to your, yourself in the future saying, look, buddy, I want to be able to make this true. Do what you got to do to make this true. And it seems like you've lived your life in that sense. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I, I thought that too. Like, you know, it is kind of interesting that that, that passage would become far more significant, you know, two decades in the future. And so for anybody listening, and I, I try to make this point extremely clear in, in the post that I write. So when I, when I, when I look at the, the, that passage, particularly the final clause, you know, which says I have kept the faith. So when I try and attribute that to my own situation, I mean, I, I do that extremely cautiously and I, and I'm saying, Hey, listen, when I, take that, that part of the passage from Paul and apply that to myself, I'm doing so in an extremely narrow capacity. I am not making some sort of sweeping grandiose claim that I am, you know, the, the best person ever, or the best military officer, or that my military career was perfect, or that it was grand. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making that, I'm not making that, that claim at all. What I'm claiming is that I had a generally good military career, that I had a successful military career that I did obtain some successes that, you know, are, are above average, right? And it's a career that I'm proud of. And that when, you know, push came to shove, you know, I mean, I threw my cards down on the table like that, that I am comfortable saying, I'm not, I'm not making some sweeping claim. I'm not trying to attribute that passage to me in some, you know, some all encompassing way. I'm saying, no, no, no. In this, in this one decision, where I was at a fork in the road and I could either choose to go along with something that I knew was extremely sinister because I always knew that this entire COVID op, 
and the whole thing was an op and is an op, I could either go along with it or I could refuse to go along with it at, at great cost to myself. Now, are there people who have paid more? You know, did did Paul pay more than me? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. I'm, I'm not, I'm only making a comparison with myself. That's one of the things that I also try to make very clear in, in what I wrote yesterday was, this is a comparison between the choice that I made and the choice that I could have made. So again, I could either go along with it or I could refuse. I chose to refuse. And, and of course, you know, we know, we know what it cost me, but we know what I also retained. And I'm, you know, I'm happy. I still believe that I came out a winner. So you're always so careful not to overstate what you've done, but then we have to look at Peter and, you know, the night that Jesus was, was under trial, someone asked Peter, oh, aren't you one of those, those guys following Jesus around? He's like, no, no, I'm not. And then they asked him two more times and then the rooster crows. And in, you have to look at what you did. You were facing almost as big as, you know, consequences, right? Because losing all of your career, losing your retirement, losing all these things for basically being required to deny Jesus and you did not deny Jesus. Okay. So here's what I will, will say for sure. Right. So Sam, you and I have spoken about this. I don't remember exactly what we said in our previous interview, but you and I have spoken on the phone multiple times. And I know that you believe as I believe, and, and many of your viewers as well, that this is a spiritual war. Does it, does it, you know, does it show itself physically or in other regards as well. Yes, of course. But fundamentally, this is a spiritual war. And and I believe that by making the decision that I made, first and foremost, I believe that, you know, I was being loyal to God, like above all, that was the most important. Now, in doing so, I also thought that I was maintaining my own personal integrity. That's also very important. But first and foremost is God. I also believe that I was maintaining my oath to the Constitution. This goes back to the paradox that we spoke about before. I believe that I was also doing that. But first and foremost, you know, loyalty to God. You know, if you if you you put God first, then you know whatever comes next is a, is a distant second at at best, right? And so in that regard, yeah, I I feel like I can at least in that very narrow way I can claim to have to have kept the faith, just understanding, you know, in that in that small way. And I still feel like that. I mean, I don't I don't regret my decision at all. I've I've never regretted it. And you know as well as I do that when you do the right thing, we all would like to believe that it it makes your life better or it makes your life easier. And in some ways it does. But in some very real ways, it can make your life very, very hard. I mean, that's why it's it's not always easy to do the right thing. You know, it can make your I mean, you're going through some hardships. I've I've been I've been impacted as well. I mean, there have been been very significant financial impacts for the decision that I made, especially being so close to you know, retirement. And and I've had to kind of figure out, all right, what are my next goals? What am I going to do next? And then now I got to take into account the fact that I don't have that pension that I was basically on the cusp of receiving. But I mean, that's what it means to, to do the right thing and to just, you know, put your faith in God first and just move forward and do the right thing and just, you know, let the rest of it just figure itself out. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, that just, you said in that article, it's, you know, the, the courage to do the, the hard right over the easy wrong. And this is definitely the, the hard right over the easy wrong. Yeah, so that's a, that's a dictum that is, is constantly repeated to all cadets at West Point. Now, it actually comes from a line that's from what's called the, the cadet prayer. 
but that is like almost almost beaten within you or beaten into you as a cadet when you're at West Point, right? And I think that's good. I mean, you were supposed to be imbued with these ideals. I mean, you were supposed to understand the honor code, for example, and integrity and putting others before yourself and being a team player and you sacrifice for the good of the team and you worry about others before yourself. All of these things that we prize in a military officer, you know, those are practically like, you know, beaten into you through repetition and trauma as a as a cadet over four years. And so, you know, one of the one of the quips that I put in the in the post, you know, kind of semi-comically yesterday was that, uh, you know, it turns out that I, that I did learn some things at West Point, regardless of uh, my, my rather unremarkable academic record there, you know, and I, and I have to, I, I have to question, you know, where is everybody else? And you asked me before, what about a previous piece that I wrote? So there's a previous, so, so yesterday's piece was all about a 20 year view. It's about me yeah, I'm, again, not that this is the Brad Miller show, but this was a an admittedly introspective piece on me, you know, my decision balanced against a decision that I could have made, right? That's what yesterday's piece was all about. And then kind of taking that 20-year view of my entire career summed up in how it ended. But there's a previous post that I put out a couple of weeks ago that you also kind of alluded to in the very beginning. And that one was called An Appeal to Those Who Went Along. So that one is oriented towards uh, towards others because i am i am admittedly and i am unabashedly critical of those who made the wrong decision i don't feel bad about that i don't apologize for that i'm not saying that i've never done anything wrong i'm not saying that what i am saying is i have a real problem with people who spend their entire career in the military where we place a premium on courage to include moral courage and they they have learned their entire careers to you know be patriots to be selfless to do the right thing to to be loyal to the oath and then they just seem to abandon all of that and and i i, I got a real problem with that and so in that piece again titled an, an appeal to those who went along and again that's on my Substack, i was basically saying hey listen show some courage. You you have failed to do so up to this point. It's not yet too late. We we want to embrace you, but you're going to have to show the courage that you have failed to show up to this point. Yeah, I think that's great because in that article there are some harsh words, but but they're not unfounded, right? If you've done things wrong in the past, then maybe it's a good friend who comes up and says those harsh words to you out of love to get you on the right path. And and that's how I kind of read a lot of that is that, yeah, these are harsh words, but, but you're not saying this out of malice. You're saying this out of compassion to, to help get you on the, the person that's done the wrong thing to get them on the right path. To tell them, yes, you, you can still find forgiveness. You can still get redemption. You can still do the right thing right now rather than going to the end of your career and still never do the right thing. Yeah, so you're exactly right. I mean, we've all been there. We've we've all done the wrong thing. And and I would even venture to say that all of us at some point or points in our lives have even demonstrated cowardice. Again, whether in a great degree or a small degree, but I mean, 
everyone shies away sometimes from doing things that they kind of know they should do. Everybody has. We've all we've all been there. So at the very beginning of that piece, going back to what you just said, I kind of explain the spirit in which I'm writing it. And I say, hey, listen, I mean this to be interpreted in the spirit that I'm writing it. And the spirit that I'm writing it is kind of equal parts sharp rebuke, but also willingness to embrace. So I don't feel bad. I will not apologize for sharply rebuking those who have contributed to this massive situation that we're all in, which, and, and I believe that our country is absolutely on the precipice, right? So not going to apologize for, for hurting feelings. It, great. But I also want people to know, hey, listen, we will willingly embrace you, but you got to you got to do what you haven't done so far, which is you have to stand up for truth. And you, you got to show some some honor because, and Sam, you've talked about this. I, I mean, you've talked about this a ton over the last 18, 20, 21 months. So again, and I say this all the time, I am willing to view people as charitably as possible. I'm willing to, to, to say to people, I know that you may not have known what was going on in August of 2021 when the FDA and DOD were clearly in collusion with this whole bait and switch and, and you know, misrepresenting an unlicensed product as a fully licensed product. You've spoken about this, you know, a ton. But I, I, I realized there were people who did not necessarily know what was going on. Did I, I, I got all that. But right now, right now in June of 2023, I mean, we're getting really close to, to two years since that mandate went into effect, since that initial collusion predicated entirely upon fraud was wrought on the entire nation. You know, I mean, it's almost been two years. You cannot continue to claim ignorance. At this point, if you're claiming ignorance, it's because you're, you're, you, are, you are willfully ignorant because you're afraid of what you might uncover if you look into it, which means you are a coward. So that's kind of where I'm at and how I feel. You know, these, I mean, you know how it is, Sam. I mean, leaders in the, in the, in the military, they are not, they're, they're, they're not dumb people, you know? So if they don't know what's going on, it's because they are, they are willfully hiding from the information that is now readily apparent. And unfortunately, what we've seen is the military, like the kind of the senior leadership, right, has not just turned itself on the rank and file, you know, of the service members, but also on the, you know, on the entire country. And now we just see this, this extremely pervasive infiltration across the board of just so many of our institutions. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you're talking about the military leaders, because I've recently spoken to two physicians, one military, one not. And, you know, one of them's like, oh, well, you know, talking to me, asking me, do you even think the, the pandemic was real? And it's like, come on, man. You know, of course, millions of people died from something. And then he, he goes into, well, if this really was gene therapy, then we'd be seeing, you know, lots of people getting cancer. It's like, dude, what reality are you living in? We are seeing lots of people getting what is now colloquially known as turbo cancer. Like that's the only words to describe it. And it describes it well. It's a supercharged cancer that, that happens exceedingly fast. What reality are you living in? Because you're not seeing that. I spoke to some other physician recently, and he was saying, oh, yeah, well, mRNA has been around since the 60s. Okay, well, when has it been used in humans? Oh, Ebola? Okay, well, when else has it been used in humans? Oh, never. And I explained how, you know, they did some COVID-type 
vaccines and treated sheep, I'm sorry, cats and ferrets. And it killed all the cats and ferrets through antibody dependent enhancement. And this doctor was like, oh, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about humans. Yeah, dude, they all died. And so they never went to human studies because they all died. What reality are you living in? And that seems to be the problem is these people live in this alternative, alternative reality where they have different facts. Yeah. So I, I view that as what we, what we see now is the, the vast majority of the population. And again, we're talking about you know, reasonably intelligent people, right? And their worldview is entirely incomplete and just predicated on a ton of false premises. I mean, that's just exactly what it is. And part of that is due in, in, in large part to the fact that there's a lot of worldview warfare that goes on. I mean, we are constantly bombarded with shifting narratives, incomplete information, competing stories about this or that or whatever. So we largely live in a world in which we're all propagandized heavily. And it's almost, it almost creates, and I don't want people to, to, to misinterpret what I'm saying, but it almost creates this like alternate reality. You know, I mean, we're still here living in the real world, but so much of what we believe is like engineered. It's almost, it's almost fabricated. And, and I don't want people to take that, that, that description too far with what I'm saying. But what I mean by that is Hey, there are so many things that people may believe that are just, they're just not true, you know? And so eventually people have got to realize, you know what? I got to start connecting these dots that are right here in front of me. And I got to start recognizing these patterns that I see that I have refused to see for a long time. You know, they've been there and I've refused to connect the dots and I've, I I have refused to identify the patterns. And now I'm just going to, you know, stop refusing and I'm just going to have to do what I have to do. And I'm going to realize that reality is much different than, than what I told myself or what I believed it was for a long time until people are willing to do that. They're never going to accept some of these things that are staring them in the face. And so what I think is happening is when I talk about people's worldview being incomplete, what I mean is like they, they constantly have to do these mental gymnastics in their head because what they see on the ground in front of them, right, in reality is much different than kind of what they believe. So there's a disconnect there and they have a, they have a, a difficult time accounting for that disconnect. And, and again, it goes back to, yeah, because your, your worldview is incomplete because whether you admit it or not, your worldview has largely been given to you by people who are shaping it to serve their interests, not yours. Right. And I think that's, that's a good test, perhaps, is if you have to do mental gymnastics to to have two ideas in your head, then you're probably not looking at the entire facts of the case. So, you know, one of the things that I, I've mentioned before, right? So there's a, you know, there's a French thinker and philosopher, Voltaire, and he's got this off-repeated quote, and I, I found myself using it too recently, right? And and it basically says, if they can make you believe absurdities, they can make you believe they can make you commit atrocities. And I, I think that's extremely applicable to what we've seen the last couple of years. So, I mean, you know this they they made so many people believe absolute absurdities that you know the masks work that we need to lock down, you know, and, and destroy the economy. And that remember the original forecasts of just these astronomically high numbers of people that we supposedly were, we were going to lose to COVID. I mean, just these absolute 
absurdities. Oh, remdesivir works. That's another one, right? Or, or hey, you're going to kill grandma. Or, hey, you can't be with your grandparents when they're sick and potentially, you know, at death's door. You can't be with them in their final moments, you know? And then, well, what did that lead to? Well, I mean, it absolutely led to atrocities. I mean, we treated people with remdesivir and put them on vents. And we allowed grandparents to die alone without their family members present. And we destroyed the economy. You know, we destroyed people's livelihoods. That remdesivir point that I want to just make it as clear as I possibly can for the listener. It was so deadly and bad when they were studying it for Ebola that it killed more people than if they didn't use it. Ebola. It killed more than Ebola. Just, just to throw that out there. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, so again, that is a clear example of, you know, them through worldview warfare, right? And just implanting this, this narrative on the public of getting people to believe absurdities that then led to atrocities. And we're still kind of in, in the midst of this, you know, atrocity. Atrocities don't have to be committed with with tanks, guns, bombs, etc. There are uh, there are other more sophisticated ways in which to also commit atrocities and we just we have to uh, we have to realize that that's what's going on. And we have to call it what it is, right? Precisely. Yeah, so one of the the last things that I would just kind of say here is uh, again, I am if, if if I have to be honest, right? I'm I'm very proud of myself and I don't mean that to toot my own horn. But I know what you mean, Sam, because you you can look in the mirror and know that you kept the faith, right? And I congratulate you for that. You've been through extreme difficulty. You know, you and your family have endured hardship because of the stance that you took. So I congratulate you. When you look in the mirror, you can say, hey, you know what? I did the right thing. And when I look in the mirror, I feel like that too. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I even had, you know, a... a, a I was always perfect in my military career. It means that on this issue, I feel like I did the right thing. And in that narrow regard, I can say that, you know, I, I kept the faith and I don't have any regrets. And I know that there are good people out there. There are peers of yours, peers of mine, who are still friends of ours to this day, who are internally conflicted. And they're internally conflicted about what they've been a part of, because deep down, they are good people. They're good people that have found themselves on the wrong side of this issue. And to those people... I just, you know, plead to, hey, stop being an agent of your own enslavement, because that's what this is all about. It's about power. It's about them taking power away from us and consolidating power amongst themselves at the expense of, of all of us. And so stop being an agent of your own enslavement. And, and first and foremost, you know, for those of us who, you know, men, right? I mean, I believe in this concept of being a, what I call a Christian man of action. And so, again, I would look at, you know, the men out there, since you and I are both dudes, hey, be a Christian man of action. Because I, I do believe we have a Christian duty to stand up and resist evil and protect not ourselves first and foremost, but protect society at large. That is a that is a duty that falls. That is a Christian duty that falls to to men. And it's not that just men are in this fight, but that's something specifically that I would say to to the fellas out there, but to everybody, you know, put God first at first and, and just, you know, let everything else just work itself out. Yeah. And kind of to your point, that example of, you know, and I don't know if he's Christian or not, 
but I, I interviewed him in the past, uh, Dr. Kirk Moore, maybe a week or two before we have this conversation. He was arrested, and I believe he's in jail, and I don't know for how long. It, if at worst, it's a white-collar crime that he committed, allegedly, you know, by giving saline, allegedly giving saline instead of the the COVID shots to kids, to children, which, you know, if that's proven in a court of law that that's what happened, then he actually saved lives. And, and that's a much tougher decision than I think you or I did because he's facing nine years in prison and hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars, almost a million dollars in, in fines and all sorts of things. But it's, we need men and women like this to stand up everywhere. And, and you're right that I think men have a certain mantle that's put on us that's not easy to carry. And it's that um, when, when there's weak men, society collapses and bad things happen. And when there's good, strong Christian men, then and this is not a sexist thing. This is we are given this mantle of, of hardship to be that stalwart against evil. And when we're not there, then hopefully there's women that can stand up and take that place. But, but men are charged with that. That is a, again, a, a mantle that we're, we have to carry that's heavy. It's a heavy cross to burden to carry. I completely agree. Well, Brad, where can we find you? Tell us again, because I know I, I like your articles and, and they're very well written. Where can we find more of them? Yeah, so the easiest place is just on my Substack, which again is just my name, Brad Miller 10. So Brad Miller 10.substack.com. So you can go there and and subscribe and I would I would certainly appreciate it. I appreciate, you know, any support there. Well, thank you so much. We'll be praying for you and keep up the good the good fight. Keep running the race as if to win. Hey, thanks Sam. I appreciate it. Love everything you're doing. Thank you. Love what you're doing too. God bless. God bless. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear. I have a new affiliate, Harvest Right Freeze Dryers. Take a look at the link below and see if it's right for you. It's a great way to store food for you and your family up to 25 years if stored properly.